Well, good evening, church. Welcome to our, our midweek devotional. It's good in the middle of the week just to take time. This is our 25th week. About half a year we've been studying close-ups of Jesus through the lens of Mark. Really an interesting text we're going to look at tonight from Mark chapter 12. I'm kind of calling this little study, How Our Joy Will Be Made Complete in Heaven in All the Circumstances. Mark 12, 18 to 27, get a Bible. Let's just study briefly together, okay? The Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, listen to what he says. Jesus said to them, 24, is this not the reason you are wrong? Now, Jesus, it's interesting that Jesus says they're wrong when all they did was ask a question. They didn't give an answer. Most of the time we think of wrong as a wrong answer. Jesus is using wrong and saying, you're asking wrong questions. It's interesting the way he pinpoints the wrongness in their question. 24, Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. I want to explain why I I don't think those are two things. I think that's one thing and different aspects of it. 25. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. doesn't say they become angels, but like the angels in heaven. 26. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses? He's going to refer to the the early books of the Bible, and it's interesting that Jesus says those are that's Moses' stuff. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now Jesus speaks. He's not the God of the dead, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And then Jesus says again, you are quite wrong. So they come with this question, first point. They come with this question about the resurrection. Um, Matthew 22, 23 makes it clear that this is right after, in our last study, they came to Jesus with this question about taxes. Is it wrong to give money to Caesar? Should we pay taxes? Should we not? And of course, you had the different camps around that issue, and they're trying to trick Jesus. So Matthew makes it clear this is right on the heels of that. So they come with this question. First, they ask him, by what authority are you doing this? When he clears the temple, Jesus 
trips them up with his response about John the Baptist. Then they come and they ask the question about taxes. Should we pay? Shouldn't we pay? And Jesus silences them on that one. Now they come with this question about the resurrection. They don't even believe in the resurrection. But they come with this this question about the resurrection. So it's clear. The, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they aren't out to get any kind of information. They don't even have to believe in the resurrection to want to bug Jesus with these questions about the resurrection. Uh, Acts 23.8 makes it clear. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. The Pharisees acknowledge them all. So why? Why are they asking Jesus this, this question? What, what were they looking for if their convictions already left them persuaded that Jesus was wrong in talking about the resurrection? So, so they picked this difficult question with one purpose only. They want to make the resurrection look ridiculous. And so, and so they form this strange set of circumstances with these seven brothers and this one woman just with the thought that, see, Jesus, this whole thing about the resurrection, it makes no sense. Point number two. By the way, just under that first point, it, it, those who really deny Christ and the teaching of the Scriptures rarely do it from a position of, of uh, intellectual honesty. It, it's usually with, with the idea of making something look silly, making something look ridiculous. Point number two. So the Sadducees' question proves that their whole concept of the resurrection, no wonder they don't believe in it, the whole concept they have is small and, and inadequate. So, so what they're doing is they're picturing resurrected life, life in heaven and in the new creation, resurrected life. They picture it as just sort of an extension of the kind of existence they've had on this earth. So it's, it's more like almost like a, just a, a continuation of exactly the same kind of existence. More like recitation than resurrection. So they picture life in the resurrection to be sort of like life on earth, but just stretched out. That, by the way, is a very common uh, problem, a very common feature in a lot of thinking about things like heaven and the resurrection. We're quick to create problems, issues that are hard to understand, hard to get our heads around. Whenever we picture resurrection life in the future age, the future kingdom, when you picture it from the understanding we have of our present life and our present sources of joy and our present circumstances, using our own present speculation, Jesus says, you're not reading the word, he says to these these people, using our present speculation, it'll always be really hard to make sense of what life will be like in the resurrection. Uh, Point number three. In his answer, Jesus points out that life, life in the future kingdom, resurrected life, is not just life like we have it on earth, extended, or even just slightly modified. I get that in verse 25, where he says, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels 
in heaven. So, Jesus is saying it's a mistake to approach the subject of resurrection life just based on our present understanding. So, all of us have questions about past friendships, death of loved ones, family ties, differing ages, recognizing each other in heaven, relationships between spouses like, like this issue brought up. There's, there's a million questions. And sometimes we wonder, and that's why the title of this was Our Happiness in the Future Life. Here's the problem. If you just think of resurrection life life in the, in the new creation, life in the, in the kingdom, in its complete manifestation when Jesus comes again and our bodies are raised. If you just think of it in terms of like our present existence, it, it will take away your joy because the only way we have of measuring our happiness and our joy is we look at present relationships the way they are now. I look at my relationship with my wife and how much I love her and how much I love being with her. And when I read Jesus saying it's not going to be like that in the future life, well, I can easily think, well, that's just going to diminish my joy. How will I be happy? But that's because I have no other way of measuring my joy other than present earthly relationships. My, my joy is fed by those things now, and my joy will be fed and sustained in a different way in life in the resurrection. You can't view life the other side of the resurrection just by the sources of joy we presently have. Now, I say that it's partially true, but, but not completely true. What I do know is this. Whatever joy I have in any earthly relationship now will only be deepened in the resurrection. So, so my happiness in any pleasure that I have, in, in any joy that I have, in any accomplishment that I have, in any friendships that I have, in any goals that I have, any achievements that I make, and, and the sense of well-being and joy that I get, it's never going to be diminished but you can't correlate it exactly with the things that bring you the most joy here on earth. But nothing will be decreased. Everything will be bettered. Four. Jesus talks about the reason for their muddled, confused thinking. He does it in the 24th verse. Jesus said to them, is, is this not the reason you are wrong? Just your questioning is wrong. Your thinking is wrong. Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. It's really an important sentence from Jesus. The greatest cause of their skepticism, their cynicism, their lack of certainty was they had not been hearing their own Scriptures the Old Testament that they had. It's, it's like that with many of the questions we pose when we're not given to a deep study of, of the Scriptures. They, they wanted these quick answers, these neat little uh, riddles that they would pose to Jesus, but they were not thinking about what God had revealed to them in their Old Testament Scriptures. So there is a, you know, there's a certain discipline in studying the Word, 
I think of it even in these little studies that we do. Every Wednesday night, here we sit, 7 o'clock. It takes discipline for me. I come, I sit in this empty sanctuary. It takes a discipline on my part. It takes a discipline on your part. You're doing things. You're caught up in the middle of the week. You know what it's like in the pandemic. Every day seems exactly the same. You get into different schedules, different routines. It's very easy. Who's going to know if you don't watch anything on Sunday night, if you neglect Sunday morning, if you never tune in Wednesday night, if, if you're not disciplined in these things, no one's going to know. But Jesus says, there's something else that happens. You, you, you lose a sense of the majesty and power of God. So, so that discipline of studying, knowing, learning the Word. So here are the Sadducees who spent a great deal of time studying uh, contemporary Greek culture. They knew the philosophies of the day, but they didn't know their scriptures. And Jesus saw it as a tragedy. You're wrong because, because you're not knowing your scriptures. And because they didn't know the scriptures, they didn't know the power of God. Please note, please note the order there. The power of God was not just some abstract thing floating around in the atmosphere. They, they would know the scriptures as they knew, fed upon, relied upon the scriptures, the word of God. That's what Jesus calls the Old Testament. This revelation from God. If they knew it, they would be more sure of and trust in the power of God. So Jesus says, you know, neither the scriptures and of course, because they don't know the scriptures, nor the power of God. That's what's at stake in studying and knowing the word. Knowing the scriptures, knowing the power of God are cause and effect. That's what Jesus is saying. Point number five. Here's the heart of the matter. Look at 26 and 27. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, God spoke to Moses, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Jesus says, 27, he is not the God of the dead. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. You are quite wrong. So, Jesus recognizes this whole subject of these uh, seven brothers and this wife. He, he, he recognizes it as just a constructed kind of a smoke screen. The real issues for the Sadducees was more basic. They really couldn't care less about this hypothetical situation. What, what they care about is disproving the resurrection. There is no resurrection. That's the issue. And so Jesus cleverly picks a passage that would be very suited to the ears of these Sadducees. He talks about Moses. And if there's anything that the Sadducees cared about, it's Moses and the writings of Moses. He picks the central event in Moses' life, this calling of Moses out of the burning bush. And the real point is, when God speaks to Moses out of that bush, he says he's the God of Abraham. And here's why that's significant. By the time God speaks to Moses out of that burning bush, Abraham has been dead and off the scene for, well, roughly 500 years. 
So when God speaks to Moses, this is the text Jesus uses to the, to the Sadducees. When God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush and says he's the God of Abraham, Abraham's been gone for 500 years. And then, notice, notice, he's the God of Abraham. Not Abraham's bones or Abraham's body, the God of Abraham. And Jesus says he's not the God of the dead, he's the God of the living. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, don't think of them as dead and gone. That's what Jesus is saying. And he uses this text, these words to Moses about God being the God of Abraham. He uses it to prove that God is, he's not the God of the dead, he's the God of the living. Just as Abraham was, he's still the God of the living. My parents, my mom and dad, he's the God of the living. Your departed loved ones, he's the God of the living. Point number six, now we're almost done. While the Sadducees are fooling around with Jesus on this silly issue of these seven brothers, there's another issue of far deeper importance that we need to remember when we think about the resurrection. Here's a passage. John 5, 28 and 29. Don't, you don't have to worry about all those other little issues. Here's an issue you have to think about when you think about the resurrection. John 5, 28, 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. It's like Jesus says, it's like an hour on the clock. It's ticking. You can't stop it. It is coming. The hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Not talking about spirits here, okay? In the tombs. So clearly the reference is to bodies. When all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So yes, there is a resurrection for everybody, but there are bigger issues to think about than the ones the Sadducees have been trying to trick Jesus with. Everyone will be raised, but not to the same end. A resurrection of life and a resurrection of judgment. Everything hinges. So, so Jesus says to the Sadducees, you, you need to know the Scriptures and the power of God. That's where you're missing it. Don't speculate. Don't dream up difficult uh, circumstances to imagine. You want to think about the resurrection, think about this. Resurrection to life and a resurrection to judgment and the need to put trust in the lordship and the truthfulness of the words of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and gives eternal life. What a text that is. Let's pray together. We're so grateful. We're just so grateful for uh, a word that gives absolute honest truth, that strips away clumsy arguments, silly distractions, and reminds us of the things we most need to know and focus on. Help us not to be like these uh, Sadducees. May, may we know the Word of God. May we know it, study it, treasure it, apply it to our lives, and thus 
know the power of God, the power of God to cleanse, forgive, grant eternal life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God the Son. And so help us week by week to hide your word in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Sunday, 10 o'clock, right here, so far, right here in, in the sanctuary and live streaming, Making Spirits Bright, the second in our Christmas series, uh, The Six Reasons. Jesus said he came into this world, was born into this world. That'll be Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Sunday night, we're going to be studying a new series, 630, uh, online soul food where our Bible came from, and how to read it. We'll be studying that on Sunday nights. God bless you, church. Stay in the Word. Love one another.